Yo, 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 what's going on, my people? The brothers and the sisters, man, we are back at it. Um, Tonight, <clears throat> I want to do an expose um, on a couple of conspiracy theories that I have. And these aren't really... Um, they're not really conspiracy theories because this stuff happened. Um, so as you know, the violence in the, in the black communities is going off at high rates. And like I said, um, Dr. Um, what's his name? Michael Eric Dyson. He was on drink champs talking about the culture, toxic masculinity and all these other type of things. So it got me to thinking that he didn't talk about, you know, the structure, the structured racism that goes on in our neighborhoods. Um, the zoning in our neighborhood. See, I took my um, real estate classes. So the real estate classes were showing me how these neighborhoods are set up. So you got a green zone, yellow zone, and a red zone. Essentially, the red zone is places where you don't want to live. So that's where they start getting into the, you know, where they feel is most dangerous, essentially. Or not, I, it didn't say most dangerous, but that's what I got out of it. It may not mean that, but the red zone was places that you did not want to live. The yellow zone was places that's eh, okay. And then the green zone was the place that you do want to live. See, what's happening is, and what people are not talking about, they're trying to gentrify Philly. I mean, you wouldn't know this unless you lived in Philly. So they're trying to gentrify Philly, essentially. So, um... We've had this discussion before, like amongst a couple people that I know, and my mom been saying this for like the last 20 years that they're trying to move from the suburbs back to the city because the city has downtown, you know, um, downtown there used to be something called the gallery. And that used to be where everybody used to go. You know what I'm saying? The best food court, some of the greatest food I ever had came from the gallery. It used to be a Ross in the gallery, all type of stores. And um, it was a bar in the gallery called, was it called Second Street? Second Street Bar? I think it was. I'm not sure. But what they did was they shut the gallery down, I think, in like 2018 or 2019. So they shut that down. And, um, they start building something. They they call it the fashion district now, but they done made it so whack and corny now. But you know, the gallery pieces get these certain pictures taken with the certain backgrounds and all these type of things and get your name uh, spray painted on the shirt. So the gallery used to be big business for, you know, a lot of the inner city kids that used to go down there and it was like an escape because they had KB toys down there and all type of stands and stuff down there, you know. It was for the kids that couldn't go to King of Prussia or uh, we got a mall that's called Franklin Mills and it's very, very far. So it was like one of them type of deals. It was for that. So um, they gentrified it, in my opinion, because they want the, the rich folks to come start coming down from the suburbs. 
want the rich white people to start coming down from the suburbs. So this is what they did. They gentrified it. So it was a fashion district. It, it was a Barney's. It's a Barney's downtown. There's something called Boyd's downtown. These are all high fashion, luxury brand stores. So um, they're trying to make it more appealing. So they start getting rid of the people on the corners that were selling CDs. They've been out of the out of the paint, but you start to notice they're gentrifying everything. And what they're doing is with one thing that University of Penn, I know everybody knows that college, their Ivy League school, what they did was they took over the whole West Philly. That's a section of Philly. They took o- took over it from, I think, I believe like 39th Street all the way up to 60th Street. And they're moving towards 63rd Street. And then once you get past 63rd Street, you're going up towards Upper Darby, another outskirt suburban area. But what's happening with that suburban area is that all the black people moved up there. So the white folks start moving back to the city. Um, But I noticed what they're doing. I noticed what they're doing. They're trying to get, like I said, they're trying to move us out to the suburbs where we can't afford to live and all this other stuff while they come back to the city and reap the benefits. Like, um, I remember the Sixers was talking about moving downtown to the gallery and they was thinking about, oh, well, we can build a, a stadium down there. But they were saying, like, it'll be so much traffic going downtown, but they don't care about the traffic or holding people up. You know what they care about? That cash. It will bring so much money to the city because it's right there at Center City. And I don't have to go all the way down South Philly, which is another section of the city, to go see the Sixers. They right down there <clears throat> um, at 8th Street or whatever the case may be. But I say that to say this. And this is where the structure of racism coming at. You notice... Where's these people, where's these, you know, black fools getting these guns? And Michael Eric Dyson talked about toxic masculinity. And I mentioned before, and I'm not going to get too deep into that, that it was a white girl. She was the biggest arms dealer on the East Coast at one point from South Carolina or North Carolina. They don't mention her. She's a woman selling guns. But us, it's toxic masculinity. But why does the action of a few why do the why do the many have to act have to answer for the actions of a few? We should not be answering because two dusty dudes or two broke niggas went and robbed and killed PNB Rock. We shouldn't have to answer for that. And what they tell you is a black on black crime this and black on black crime that. But I start to think, and I've talked about this before, less than five percent. Teetering around 1.5 to 2.5 percent of uh, black people are criminals. So you got 40 million black people, and 1.5 million of them are criminals. This is according to statistics. 
you check the percentages out on that. I'm not too good with these percentage things, but I know that's less. That's maybe less. It's like around one percent or a little, a little over one percent. But they try to lead you to believe that every black person walking is a criminal. So it starts to get you to thinking, right? There was a shooting in the Roxborough section of the city. I mentioned this where a deputy sheriff is the one who sold the guns that was involved in that shooting. I spoke about this. I'm not going to get too deep in that, but it starts to like make your mind wonder how they getting all these guns because I'm pretty sure they can't, it's, it's straw purchases. And I think the cops is dropping all boxes of guns. All the guns that's in our neighborhoods, all these people committing shootings, they're on camera. The cops not doing a damn thing. Then, I look something up. And this doesn't have anything to do with the, the crime in our neighborhoods, but it has to do with the cops. So, it says, ex-detective, this is an article from the New York Times, ex-detective in Kansas helped men run sex trafficking operation USA. Women and girls who were as young as 13 experienced violence, abuse, rape, death threats from 96 to 98, according to federal indictment. A former police detective in Kansas who was charged in September with sexually assaulting two women while on duty more than two decades ago, now faces new federal charges. That he helped three other men run a violent sex trafficking operation that preyed on underage girls in the 1990s, the Justice Department said on Monday. The former detective, Roger Golubsky, 69, and other men were charged with one count of conspiring to hold young women in condition of involuntary servitude and one count of forcing women to provide sexual services to adult men, including themselves, according to the U.S. Attorney Office in Kansas City. In Kansas, I'm sorry, I said Kansas City. I was looking at the Chiefs game. The other three men, Cecil Brooks, Lamarck Roberson, and Richard Robinson, who the authorities said had emboldened and shielded for years, had been emboldened and shielded for years by Mr. Golubsky, were also charged with holding a woman in involuntary servitude, forcing her to provide sexual service to Mr. Roberson, according to the indictment, which was filed in the U.S. District Court in Kansas City, Kansas. So it looks like I was right. <laughs> Even... But I'm going to stop there. So, this is a cop doing this. And then you start thinking about these crimes. And you start thinking, yo, these criminals can't be that smart to keep getting away. But the cops are protecting people. And it started getting me to thinking. What else goes on that we don't know? The average person doesn't know. So this cop is helping people sex traffic little girls. Everybody talking about sex trafficking and all these other things. Now you're starting to find out the chinks of the armor is starting to show. 
can start seeing the chinks in the armor now. The cops have a lot to do with the sex trafficking, in my opinion, because this is not an isolated incident. They're not just snatching people off the street without people knowing. So, I'm going to get back to this article. If convicted of all crimes, the men could each face a maximum sentence of life in prison. Mr. Golubsky's lawyer, Christopher Joseph, said in a statement that Roger maintains his innocence, of course, and looks forward to clearing his name from these decades-old and uncorroborated allegations. Mr. Brooks and Mr. Roberson are in custody out of state and have not yet appeared in court, Mr. Joseph said. Mr. Robertson lawyer, Justin Johnston, did not immediately respond to requests for comment on Monday night. The indictment comes less than three months after Ms. Golubsky had been charged with six federal counts in connection with sexual assaults from two women more than two decades ago. Lucas Barnes, a community organizer with the Moore Two and local civil rights organization, said by phone Monday night that the new charges announced on Monday gave credence to the activists and residents who've long accused the Kansas City Police Department of Malfeasance. Uh, Mr. Golubsky, who was white, was particularly notorious, activists said, with black women accusing him of terrorizing their community. He retired from the police department as a captain in 2010. So he retired 12 years ago when he was, what, 57? According to indictment, Mr. Golubsky would accept money from Mr. Brooks, who ran the apartment complex, to protect the three men from law enforcement agencies as they used physical beatings, sexual, sexual assaults, and threats to compel young women to provide sexual service to men. Prosecutors said the defendants would also kidnap victims. The indictment states that Mr. Brooks had paid off law, enfor- law enforcement so that officers would provide warnings when police were about to hit the house. In order for you to have the intel to know when they're going to raid or do whatever, you had to have an inside man. And I'm not saying all cops is bad, but this is a black eye for the cops. So the Kansas City Police Department did not immediately respond to a call seeking comment on Monday night. Mr. Brooks used one unit at the apartment complex as an office where he stored guns, drugs, and cash. It held meetings, according to prosecutors. Mr. Brooks would target women and girls as young as 13 who had just been released from Belloit Juvenile Correctional Facility who had run away from broken homes and would force them into sex trafficking. The indictment states, Mr. Golubsky, the police officer, primarily chose young black girls ranging in age from 13 to 17 years old to submit to sex and to provide sexual service to him, the indictment says. The Delavan complex was split into the office unit where Mr. Brooks could lock girls in from the inside, from the outside, the relaxed area where girls would use alcohol and drugs, and a working house where they were compelled to perform sexual service of adult men, the indictment says. One of the girls, a teenager who had just been released from Belloit Juvenile Correction, Correctional Facility and whose mother had died by suicide, was moving into the office unit at Delvan, Delavan was held inside from September 96 to October 97, the indictment says. 
the, that teenager who escaped from the apartment complex in 90s in October of 97 went to the hospital after experiencing severe, severe abdominal pain and vaginal bleeding because she was suffering from an atopic pregnancy, which occurs when a fertilized egg implants in the wrong place in a woman's body, according to the charging documents. So they was raping these young girls getting them pregnant, beating them, and forcing them to do things. So you get to wondering, all these missing girls, like, where are they going? How are they just missing? I think that not all cops are doing this, but it's a good percentage of them that is. There's <coughs> <coughs> a good percentage of them that are. We can no longer hide behind all, all cops ain't bad. A good cop is going to stop this nonsense that's going on. There's no blue wall of science of silence. So I'm gonna finish reading this article. Mr. Roberson, who had refused to allow her to leave to go to the hospital, had impregnated her. The indictment states on a separate occasion, he struck her with an iron, dragged her down a staircase by her hair while Mr. Brooks watched and laughed, according to the indictment. Another teenager moved in the Delavan complex at 16 after she had been released from the correctional facility. She initially lived in a relaxed area, but was moved to the working area. She was forced to provide sexual service to men for four months to avoid being beaten, the indictment states. She ran away after she received death threats and was repeatedly raped, according to prosecutors. Mr. Bro, Mr. Barrens, the community organizer with more to said the actions describing the indictment were indicative of the, co- of the corrupt police department. This, he said, is the tip of the iceberg. Ophelia Williams, one of the women whom the Justice Department contended in September, Mr. Golovsky had raped, said on the phone Monday night that she, that though she was still distraught by the damage done to her by the police department, she felt really excited that everybody would get some justice for what they did to her. She said, of the four men, I hope they get behind bars. So, this monster, these four monsters, was kidnapping young black girls. They preyed on young black girls, no other girls. They preyed on these young women. They were black, so nobody cared about them. They were they were troubled youths, um, running runaways, and this is what happens. These kids might run away. Like you said, they come from broken homes. Like the article said, I meant to say they come from broken homes. They coming from all over the place. And these men were preying on what they considered soft targets. Beating them, raping them. So I'm just thinking to myself. How many other cities is this happening in? How many other countless young black women. And and mainly young black girls. How many countless beatings, death threats, rape? 
how many of them are going through this? All these black, young black women missing, all these older black women missing. But no, y'all conspiracy theory. These people are not disappearing out of thin air. And then you hear about stuff like this. It's probably going on in every city. Nobody talks about it. And it's taboo to talk about. No, y'all just hate the cops. No, we we don't trust the cops because of things like this. So we see this. And we're the crazy ones. We see this and we're the crazy ones. So now we're conspiracy theories. Y'all don't know what y'all talking about. And it's just like that guy, Daniel Holcloth, raping all them black women for all them years. Nobody cared about them because they were drug addicts. I don't care if you're a drug addict or not. You still deserve a chance to live a somewhat good life, even though you're addicted to drugs. But they think and they put their hands and beat these women because nobody cares about them. Just like these young black girls, they're juvenile, they're juvenile. You know, they may have did something They land them in juvenile uh, correctional facilities and they think people don't care about these children. That's why they do it. You notice. They don't do this to. Those young white girls, because their families that come looking for them. They do it for the young black girls because once they get into the system, nine times out of 10, the families are not going to care about them. We got and, and it's been a main thing. We got to start protecting our babies, man. Young black kids, the little boys, all these predator women that's out here. These women on TikTok shaking their ass on their sons. That's abuse. That's sexual abuse. That's sexual misconduct twerking on your son. taboo to talk about it's taboo to talk about all these young kids these young boys they it's like a badge of honor oh you smashed a, you was 13 and you smashed an 18 year old no that's rape no matter how we looking at it that is cons- that is not it's statutory rape It may be consensual, but he's a minor. He can't consent to something like that.
you know, and we just sit there and we just take this stuff. We take this crap. Because we don't protect our children. Nobody cares about these kids. There's not a lot of programs that are trying to help these kids get back on the right track. So these cops, they prey on it. They're kidnapping them, raping them. Nobody cares about these kids. Did anybody's family go and go after these kids? Uh, this girl, she was missing for a year and a month. Nobody went after her. Nobody was checking around to see if the daughter, where the daughter was at. No, nobody was. Excuse me. That, that is probably the craziest thing I've ever heard in my life. That these little girls had to go through that, man. 13 years old. A 16-year-old got to go through some crazy nonsense like this. In Philly, about 25, probably 25 to 26 years ago, these cops were shaking down drug dealers. Um, actually, I'm about to give y'all a little background. Cops were stealing drug money in Philly about maybe 20, 24, 25 years ago. cops but uh, I can't find it but it's, it's bringing up all type of um okay here it goes. Yes, here it go. It's called the 39th District Corruption Scandal that refers to the um, persistent pattern of brutality and corruption among the Philadelphia Police Department officers, primarily from Department's 39th um, District. The scandal emerged in late 95 and received nationwide attention by 97, eventually resulting in an investigation by Human Rights Watch. According to the Washington Post, police brutality within the district was particularly persistent. Shit, leadership of Frank Rizzo, I'm not looking for that. The core scandal involved actions led by a group of Philadelphia police officers, some of whom were known to the North Philadelphia as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These officers were charged with investigating suspected crack houses. In drug distribution hubs, officers would conduct raids 
which often unreported in some of these locations, the officers were known for stealing from suspects and were described by one of the prosecuting judges as squashing the Bill of Rights to mud. So, it was said 1,400 cases were put under review by 97 between 100, 160 and 300 had been overturned, leading to the release of more than 100 persons. So, you get the deal. This is what the cops do. They terrorize us. This is what the cops do. So. They still from us they kill us and they're doing all type of stuff man this stuff happened it's it's not like it didn't happen this is this is why people don't trust cops but they want to tell you to trust cops this is not an isolated incident this been happening for years i just pulled it up i just looked up not even this particular case but it was at least eight different cases where cops were stealing drug money so um the convicted officers Officer John Bard, Lieutenant Frank DeBundo, Sergeant Thomas D. Giovanni, Officer Stephen Brown, James Ryan, Officer Thomas Ryan. He was on leave from the PPD at the time of conviction. Officer Louis J. Mayer convicted on separate charges of robbery and battery. You know, and, and it's just crazy. Because Raymond Carter achieved notoriety, was he also fired? And I'm about to connect something else to you. Raymond Carter achieved notoriety for being a subject of a murder case that arose in the aftermath of a corruption scandal resulting in his release from prison on December 30th, 1996. Key figures in his conviction and release were PPD Tom, um, Officer Thomas Ryan and Pamela Jenkins who also played roles in the more famous trial of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, so, what's happening in these situations is, when you get officers... that are embroiled in scandal, you, you got to start looking at these other cases. Get what I'm saying? You got to start looking at these other cases. So this um, Officer Ryan, 10 years later, as Officer Ryan's per, uh, reputation began to unravel after his conviction on federal corruption charge related to the 39th district scandal, Jenkins came forward and asserted that she had been paid $500 by a group of PPD um, officers, including Ryan, to testify against Carter that resulted in a common police court judge, Jofus I. Papalini, throwing out Carter's first degree murder conviction in late 1996, saying that, he was that it was simply impossible to determine whether Carter had killed Harris. <coughs> In order in a new, in order in a new trial, the fact that Jenkins 
versal testimony in the Raymond Carter case coming to light during the PCRA uh, appellate hearings in the Mumi Abu Jamal case led to her 1982 testimony being reevaluated as well. In particular, lawyers for Abu Jamal produced an affidavit by Jenkins stating that Ryan had repeatedly pressured her to provide false testimony against Abu Jamal and corroborating the testimony of Cynthia White that she had been coercing to provide a false testimony. They still didn't let him off of that crap. But we're going to get into it. We're going to, we, you know, we, we, we're going to dive deep in. When you got officers connected to all this stuff, when people are connected to these things, you start to see, well, this cop's reputation ain't good. He did this. He was in such and such. He was involved in this. He was involved. You start to question everything. You start to question these officers. Just like with this, uh, the, this Golubsky guy. The people, they did it because they were in law enforcement. They knew how to move around things. Somebody was uh, rubbing elbows with them. You got to rub elbows with somebody in this within law enforcement to kind of move how you move in these streets without getting caught. Criminals are smart, but it's like now they're getting super smart and getting away with stuff. No, it's not that simple. The cops are helping these people, man. Not everybody, not every cop, but a good majority of them are. But we're going to have to start having these conversations about this. But do you see us as black people, what we go through as structured racism? But Michael Eric Dyson doesn't bring these things up when he goes on drink champs. And that's why I said that coon babble that he was doing is preposterous. It's ludicrous. It's stupid when he goes on there and blames every black person. 40 million black people in this United States, probably even more. But you want to blame every black person for the action of a few. No, we're not taking that, man. We're not dealing with that crap. You can go ahead, take that and shove it up your ass. Because, no, that's how you think. But we don't think like that. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't rock with him for that. I can't stand this dude, man. Like, he, he, he be on some other stuff. And I noticed that about him. I noticed that about him. He been like kind of red, brown nosing these white folks the last couple years, and the stuff he was saying. Oh, the black women, a white guy was had enough swag to come. I'm like, yeah, shut your dumb ass up, man. Like I, I hate when these dudes, these black so-called leaders or men, get on TV and try to dog black men as if we don't already got enough people dogging us in the media already. This is what happens. The white folks, they send out their little attack dogs. The white supremacist whisperers, they send them dudes out. The Michael Eric Dysons, Charles Barkley's, Shaq's, they send them type of dudes out. These political figures send these people out. These mush mouth Negroes. 
that that sounds stupid when they speaking. Like Charles Barkley and Shaq was talking about Breonna Teller a couple years ago. Come to find out the case was corrupt. And then these dudes, they don't retract nothing they say about these. The, the, nothing they said about that woman. Kenneth, he's an idiot. No, he's not. He was protecting his home. You can't come in here. If he, if, if, regardless of a no-knock warrant, I still have the right to protect my home and he's a legal gun owner. But I, I talked about that already. I'm just saying, man, they send these so-called black leaders out and these celebrities, they like to get on TV and think that they're speaking for every black person. And I like something that Stephen A, uh, something that Stephen A said pissed me off. I'll get to what I liked about what Shannon Sharp said later. But Stephen A said, oh, I speak for many blacks. No, you don't. You speak for yourself. Stop saying you speak for our community. Because when you go on TV, on national television, and start speak saying that you speak for the black community, instead of speaking for yourself, everything that you say is law to them about the black community. And that's what I don't respect. But Shannon Sharp said, I don't speak for every black person. I'm speaking for myself. And that's what I respect. Even though he was cutting the jig too. But I respect him for saying, this is just my opinion. Excuse me. I hate these, these, these buck dancing sambos get on TV and start that nonsense. Buck dancing. Cutting the jig for a check. No, you're speaking for yourself. You don't speak for the black community. Well, I talk to. No, you don't. You talk to your family, and that's it. Because we don't rock with him. We don't rock with Stephen A. Smith. We we not even really rocking with Shannon Sharp right now. I don't watch Undisputed. I was watching Undisputed because Stephen A. was cutting the jig. And Shannon Sharp turned around and started cutting the jig. You know, and I'm, I'm done with them dudes, man. Like I said, a broke clock is, is right twice a day, man. But listen, man, I'm about to get up out of here. I love y'all. Peace, blessings, prosperity. It's all love, man. I appreciate the support. Anything that you can do, support us, man. I'm going to set up a cash app for the uh, for the podcast so everybody can donate to the Black Code. Um, I appreciate y'all. I love y'all. Peace. I'm out.